It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. Dr. Kathy Cook is with us this morning, and she's the founder of Celebrate Kids, and she's influenced thousands of parents, teachers, and children around the world, and she's taking on our questions this morning. So, Kathy, you were at Asbury University just, I don't know, a week ago or so, and this is where the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened a year ago. So I'm just, I'm really curious, what was it like being on the campus? What's the atmosphere like now? Hmm. Just some of your... Yeah, observations as you went onto that campus where that amazing work of God happened. So privileged to speak at chapel to the students. Um, Carrie, there's an expectancy there that God will do it again. Mm. There's like, they were affected. And one of the things that I noticed was um, just a high trust and a high expectation, you know, that God's goodness, well, God's goodness is on display all around us all the time. That certainly is something that they understand maybe more than a lot of us um the have the holiness of god was what was so present for them i heard a lot of stories about you couldn't even walk in and not repent wow. the holiness of god slapped you in the face and you couldn't be in his presence and so the amount of sin that students faculty and staff and outsiders recognized they were harboring that they didn't know was there was like frightening to the mature believer so there's still an attitude of we want to be clean before the Lord and mm-hmm. we will repent quickly. And for this generation to want to repent quickly mm-hmm. was so like, I was so humbled. They were amazing. Mm. Mm. I think one of my experiences with Asbury, I think a lot of people's experience with Asbury was wanting to go there because we want to yeah. experience one or two saying, Lord, do it here, do it right yeah. here at my church, do it in my context. So were there things that you experienced while you were there that, that we could, that we could emulate, that we could bring to our certain context to kind of create that atmosphere of expectancy? Yeah, I love that question because I had the same thought going in. I wondered if I would figure it out. Like, why did God choose Asbury? Because he chose Asbury. And I think there were a couple of things going on. There's a maturity there. There's an intentionality there that was very impressive. And I also think that he knew they would steward the experience well. Mm -hmm. So they're still talking about it. They have three mandatory chapels a week. They still talk about it. They still expect him to show in a variety of ways. They're writing two books. They're teaching their students how to tell their stories in a compelling way. And I don't think we do a good job of that. But one of the things that blew me away was that every class, the seniors, juniors, freshmen, and sophomores, have a word assigned to them by the Spirit. There are faculty advisors and student advisors who pray for an entire year before the students ever arrive on campus. And when they arrive, they're given, this is your word. And so can you imagine, as an example, Mm. the seniors are courageous. So for four years, they've been told they're courageous. Mm. And they choose a hymn, and their hymn is In Christ Alone. And when In Christ Alone is sung in chapel, only the seniors stand on the first stanza. Nobody else is allowed to stand until the second verse. So there's identity, there's security. Wow. So those, those kids who for four years have been told they're courageous, they'll never be not courageous. Mm. The juniors are ignited on fire for the Lord. They've been named that and called that. And we believe at Celebrate Kids that words, they they become who we tell them they are. Children become who we tell them they are. They walk into that reality. The, the sophomores are restored. I love that. Not in the process of, but past tense restored. Mm. Like 
been restored. And so stop referring to your generation as broken. You've been restored. And the the, the current freshman class is um, beloved. Mm-hmm. And I was like the intentionality of praying for a word, assigning a word, teaching a word, having a hymn of the class, singing it often. Um, that was, there's more I saw, but we could do that. Shauna at home, mm-hmm. we pray for a word. We do that in our classes. What if we did that in our Christian high schools, our, our homeschool co-ops? What if we did that in our church youth groups? And and we wouldn't even have to say that all the seniors are courageous, although I think there's brilliant brilliance in that unity mm-hmm. where all of them are compelled to feed each other this idea that we're courageous. Hey, you're being you're you're doubting right now. Where's where'd the courage go? We could also do it to the individual when we call it out and say to a kid, Man, I see that you are you are beloved mm-hmm. or you're a champion for Jesus. We we've got to get better at calling out of people who mm-hmm. we see them. Yep. That's so good. And that is something that we can intentionally dive into in, in you know, over a year's time praying into like I'm mm, twenty one weeks away ish from becoming a grandma. And so praying yeah. praying for that grandbaby, right? Like what is the word, Lord, that you would have for that baby and that yeah. that we could continue to even speak into his or her life when that time comes. But Absolutely. it's also it's also a prayer that we can pray real time. I mean, maybe you don't have a child in your life that you're investing in on a regular basis, but you encounter a child in the gathering area on a Sunday morning. In that moment, in that conversation, yes. We can ask, Lord, is there something that you want to give this child in this moment? Yeah? Yes. 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 One of the things, Kathy, one of the things I would say to my kids at bedtime as they grew up was, I would say this again and again and again, I love you. I believe in you. You're precious. I believe you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Now, I... I'm far from a perfect parent. I had blind spots, but that's one thing God put in me that was, I think, life-giving for them. Oh, and and period, life-giving for yourself to hear yourself say it, to know that mm-hmm. this is what I believe for my children. And no, they'll, they'll always remember that. Um, words matter. Um, I challenge parents, um, if God were speaking to your child tonight with an audible voice, what would he say to them? Mm-hmm. What if we put our kids to bed every night with something God would say and woke them up with something God would say? Mm-hmm. That you're chosen, unconditionally valued, deeply loved, totally forgiven created the image of God, wanted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's that's what you were doing. You were giving them God's truth. Love that. All right, here's one for you, Kathy. How does a parent change and heal a relationship with an adult child when the parent crushed the spirit of the child when they were young? They made the adult child feel like when well when they were kids they made them feel like they couldn't measure up so that's that's a heavy one it, it is it is so again we start by saying thanks for trusting us with your question i'm grateful that you realize that healing could happen don't ever give up so that's the first thing we all have to say to each other progress is possible mm-hmm. so obviously you ask to be forgiven. I, I imagine you've tried that more than once. You say that you're you're sorry. And one of the things that we have to remember, you guys, is that we look back now on all the wisdom we have. And so we feel horrible about the jobs we did. But when we parented, you know, mm-hmm. 20, 30 years ago, we did the best we knew how to do in those moments. Mm-hmm. Now we're maybe believers. We've read the scripture. We've been to parenting. We listen to talk radio. And we're like, oh, how could I have been so stupid? Well, you weren't stupid. You were deceived. You were unaware. 
you were inexperienced. You were not a bad person when you parented the way that you did. So I want to give you that grace. And I want you to just be able to maybe own that and, and pray to God that he would show you that your intentions were often very, very good, because that's what I would believe about you. And now what do you do? You you do life with your child if he or she would allow you to. And you and you apologize and you say, hey, I've noticed these things about you. Say, I'm so glad you didn't believe me. Like, I realized that my parenting mm-hmm. was to put you down. And I'm, I feel horrible about that. And, I'm, and it, I just do. I just feel horrible about that. But look at what I've noticed about you. You know, you're full of grace and mercy toward your children. And I've noticed that, again, you've been promoted at work and that you volunteer in the community or whatever it is that you can notice about this kid to make sure that now they know that you see strengths and you don't talk about the weaknesses. You talk about what Mm. they're doing and then you praise God in front of the kid. Thank you, God, for allowing my child to believe in himself, even though I didn't believe in him in the way that you would have wanted me to. So you have those conversations and I pray that he would listen. If they don't, if this kid doesn't listen to the verbal conversation that you want to have, write him a letter. Um, there is evidence that the written word is really powerful. Mm. And then be careful because they're going to throw it back in your face. So you got to be really careful that you write it well and you proofread it and read it out loud and don't send it the day after you write it. Make sure that you sit on it a little bit. But to just write a letter, which is shocking when people get snail mail and say, I just, I want to communicate again that my heart breaks for the hurt that I've caused. And I'm delighted now to see the life you're living. And I would be honored if you would let me in. Mm. Could you trust me? Could you trust my heart? We do have another question, so but I want to follow up. Just This needs to be real quick because I think we want to try to answer this next question. But the follow-up would be, you know, me and my bride, Teresa, we did a lot of things right as parents. We raised our kids in the faith, but we, we had blind spots. And we, sure. Teresa and I are both high achievers and bordering on perfectionists. And although we told our kids, we love you, God loves you, they could sense that perfectionism in us, that achievement orientation in us. And they learned how to do that, but it it was, it made them feel like they had to live up to something that they couldn't live up to. And we didn't intend that, but it happened. It does. And, and Perry, thank you for being vulnerable. We can't hide who we are. We will always parent or grandparent from the strengths that we have. And your children are achievers, and that's a good thing. Um, you didn't. I wrote a book called No More Perfect Kids with Jill Savage because I'm aware of the dangers of perfectionism and I'm aware that it can be good to instill in kids an ability path and also it can be harmful. So we, we get that. We have, we have to be careful, bottom line. Mm-hmm. I'm. This is so unfair, Dr. Cook, but I'm going to ask you one more question and we're just going to need just the skinny okay. version. But it's, okay. um, I'm having a struggle with my eight-year-old granddaughter. She's willful at best and oppositional and defiant at worst. And the family kind of dances around her and just kind of keeps her from having meltdowns. She's resistant to God. They don't go to church. She does what she wants. And then I have to handle how she openly disobeys. She's constantly making messes and walks away and smiles, leaving them for me to address. Mm. Whoa, this is a mess. Wait, that's bad. I'm so sorry for you, your situation. Strong-willed kids need um, power, control, and victory. She needs power and she's getting her power by making you squirm. She needs control and she probably feels like there's nothing that she is controlling. That's why she's acting out. I can make a mess. I can control that. And she needs victory. And her victory is when you cry or when you stomp your feet or when you yell or when somebody does something that she wants them to do, which is sickness. It's just a sickness of the heart. So we give power, control and victory in healthy ways. Bottom line, give her some control, some power, some victory in healthy ways. 
um, and keep standing up to the parents of this kid and say, this is, you are, you are harming her life mm-hmm. by not saying no to her and not making her clean up the mess. So yeah, we could write a book on that. Hey, we've got a question from a mom and she says, my son is 16 and he's not allowed to date yet because in, in her view, he's not old enough for that, but she just found out he is dating. She would like to know how to approach this or what to do because um, she asked him, he denied it and, but she checked his phone and that's how she found out he has a girlfriend. So anyway, some, Low ball, you know, softball, yeah, just an easy one. Let's start with something, start with something <laughs> easy. Something easy, yeah. Yeah, so what yeah. do you say to this mom? Well, first, thanks for trusting us. I really appreciate that she would be vulnerable here. I love that she has policies. Every parent should have policies mm-hmm. about, you know, dating ages. So congratulations for having a boundary that you have set. And also, I'm glad that you checked the phone. Parents have got to check their kids' phones if they're, if they've been given a phone, you absolutely mm. have to do that. And the, if they complain, just look them in the eye and say, complain again, I'll take it away. I mean, mm. you have a choice. So this mom's doing a lot of good things. My gut is that they need to talk about the definition of girlfriend. My my gut is that he doesn't think of her as a girlfriend the way that he thinks the mom thinks of the word girlfriend. Mm. So she is a friend who is a girl and I talk to her. Uh, and so have a conversation about why dating at this age is inappropriate. And is that what he's doing? It's it, he might not think he's dating. Mm-hmm. So he's a friend he's talking to. So that's my gut. You have a conversation about what dating means. You have a conversation about what a friend who is a girl means. And then um, I th- I think and this depends on a lot of things. So you guys, it's hard on the radio, right? Not knowing. But I would invite her over. Um, the chances are, especially if you have data in the phone, that they've been connected for a while that um, you should get to know her. You know, she might, she might be a wonderful young lady and you don't necessarily, you don't want them, you know, meeting up in a dark alley somewhere. Right. So invite her over for Friday night, movie nights. I invite her over for, you know, Saturday morning brunch or whatever and invite or invite her to meet up with you at, you know, a movie theater or whatever, but get to know her and let him know that you're not opposed to him having friends. That's super important today that we help our kids navigate the, the messy relationships that exist. Um, and you could, so one consequence would be, I want to get to know her. <laughs> and if you don't want me to get to know her, that's a problem. That's like red flag, hello. Yeah. So that's a that's a definite problem. And then I would also say real quick, Shauna, that I think you also could take away the phone. If you feel like he has violated principles and is dating based on evidence you have, even though he's denied it to your face, a consequence for this could be um, a, a Sabbath from the phone. Um, that's messy. There are reasons that that becomes really hard to navigate as well because of the way that kids depend on their phones today. But you certainly have a right as a parent uh, to make sure that you take that away. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah. So my my follow-up to that would be, let's say she's seen texts and the texts show that this is a romantic kind of a relationship. So she really is a girlfriend. So let's yeah. just go that route. What if that's the case? I mean, taking away the phone is one thing, but you can't, you know, you can't be around your son all the time. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's a great follow-up. Um, yeah, then, boy, you you mandate curfew and you follow him around if you have to and you don't let him take the car. You pick him up and drop him off. And 
I mean, and when he complains, you know, the consequence of your choice for going behind our back and beginning a relationship that appears to have some romantic love to it, this is the payment. You know, this is what you have caused. We're not mean. I'm not a mm. mean, bad mom. This is what you have caused me to have to do. Why? Because God has compelled me to protect your heart. Mm. And at your age, you don't know enough yet. There's some immaturity, whatever might be true here. And you haven't had enough experiences with girls to be talking these kinds of things. And so we're concerned about that. Um, maybe you involve a youth pastor. Maybe you ask, is there a class that's going to be held sometime this academic year for youth who need to understand? the dangers of the the concept of dating. Yeah, and we got a question here from one of our listeners. Starts off with, good morning. I love Dr. Cook. So she's excited to hear from you. And here's her question. Any advice on mothering my adult divorced daughter and grandmothering her three-year-old and five-year-old boys as they live with me and I'm their main caregiver? She says, I'm 64. I'm a widow. And I'm trusting the Lord for strength because it's a lot. Wow. Yeah. So again, thanks for trusting us. And I, I'm sad for your situation. You're not alone. It's very common. I'm really glad that you reached out um, and acknowledged that it's a lot. You're not living in denial. So that's really, yeah. really wise because otherwise you would all be in major trouble. So parenting your adult daughter is really hard. You live with her. I think you need to love her, do life together. Um, use the teachable moment like you did when she was younger and provide wisdom when you can. It's more about supporting her than it is parenting her. If you see her making immature, foolish decisions, you certainly have a right to speak up because you've welcomed her into your home. But boy, it's a really hard boundary there. And the boys, praise God, you're available. Like, thanks for opening your home. There's a lot of young adults who don't have supports from people like you, and they're really in a tragic situation. So take care of yourself. Um, is my first advice, probably make sure that you're eating well and drinking enough water and getting enough sleep, seriously. Hmm. And I want to encourage you to hire a babysitter. You do not have to be a 24-7, 365 caregiver. Just like when your daughter was young and hopefully you and your husband went out sometimes. So if you need a morning break, so maybe every Tuesday morning you want to go to the women's Bible study at your church. You and your daughter arrange for child care in the home or maybe your, your church has child care. But Get out of the house to make sure you're taking care of yourself. Go meet with other women your age, having a you know, a cup of tea or coffee or an, a long lunch and get a babysitter every once in a while so that you make sure that you have a life because I don't want you to grieve the loss of everything that you dreamt you would have. Um, as far as the boys, uh, play with them, play with them, and play with them more. Hmm. Read to them, cook with oh, them, yeah. um, go outside, um, celebrate their curiosity and joy. Just have a really, really good time. Get off of screens as much as you can with them and uh, do other kinds of things like you did with your daughter. And you have a right to say no and to form boundaries, even though the culture would say that's so mean. Hmm. No, I would say uh, that these boys are going to benefit from your saying no every once in a while. Our culture screams at us. This is what you need to do and be to be somebody. And if you don't do these things and you aren't these things, you're a nobody. So in the ancient Middle East, the cultural standard to be a somebody for a woman was to have children. Mm -hmm. A woman's worth completely rested on how many children she could have to build a strong family because family meant life and safety and a future and all that. So that yeah. was the standard of yeah. that culture. That was what defined your worth. When we lived in Arizona, I 
there was a park in our neighborhood and and I was went there every day with the kids and it was a way in which I met people in the community and and started relationship with them and and I remember one day being at the park and this gal introduced herself she and she said you know my name is fill in the blank and she said I'm barren mm. and I was so taken aback by that because we don't use that language so much mm-hmm. anymore and she had a 15 passenger van full of children but at the moment she wasn't carrying a child and she felt you could tell that her identity was connected to that mm-hmm. that she would give us that she would give me her name and then use that sentence i am barren was she a particular ethnicity or just not no it was it was about religious affiliation and okay. yeah but deeply connected to her identity and i think you know, it's the rootedness goes back to what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. That That's still a thing. Uh, but right now in America, it's more like a woman needs to have a successful career, be a great influencer, and be extremely beautiful. If not, she's a nobody. That mm-hmm. That's my take. Do you... Do you feel that? Do you think that's Yeah, accurate? I do. Well, I do. And I don't know how you feel about the Barbie movie. If you've seen it, if you haven't seen it, there's definitely different opinions about it. But there is one particular scene where one of the characters explains what is expected of women today. And it's this monologue that is really, really powerful. But throughout history, there have been different roles that we've had to take, like our, our not that we've had to take that we felt our significance came from, right? Like the child, like childbearing or building your family or, you know, there's the whole domestic, you have the house has to be perfect. The dinner has to be, you know, cuisine, not just food. Mm-hmm. Like, and but also you're supposed to work full time and, you know, be contributing. Like it's greater, all the demands. And then there's social media where we only see, all the highlight moments of everybody's life, right? right? And I, I do. I feel like the demands are really high. For a guy, what I hear is I need to achieve. I need to have power and influence. I need to have, you know, some titles behind my name. I need to be wealthy. Our culture is discipling us every day. And only, listen, only the gospel can free us and unchain us from the culture's standard of being a, a somebody. Here's my friend, Rod Van Sokoma. I don't care who you are. I, I don't care how young or old you are. If you're a man, if you're a woman, if you do not get the gospel in the center of your soul, you will be a slave to your culture. And what's the gospel? It's Paul and Galatians describing Christ and all that we have in Christ, so that Paul can then quote Isaiah 64, which says, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Rejoice, sing of joy, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. And you know what Paul's saying here? He's saying children do not have to be your life when Christ is your life. Desolate woman, if you have Christ, you have so much more in Christ. You have everything, everything for your worth, everything for your significance. 
If you're single right now, you don't need a husband to complete you. Christ completes you. If you're married, you don't need your husband to make you happy. You don't need to have children to be worth something. Christ is your worth. And ladies, you don't need to measure up to our cultural standards of beauty or its standards of success or desirability. You are beautiful in Christ. He looks at you and he says to you, you're stunningly beautiful and amazing to me. And men, for us, we've also been told that unless we have that or become that or achieve that, that we're barren. Stuff screened at us every moment of every day in a thousand ways. That to be a somebody by our cultural standards, you need to do this, you need to look like this, you need to possess this, you need to make it to this place. And we have our definitions of barrenness and whatever that thing is that gets its claws in us that we think, oh, that thing will make me feel worth something or significant, that thing quickly becomes our God, our salvation, and we are chained to that thing. And I want us to see just how subversive the gospel is. It's subversive to every culture because it smashes every idol that our culture places before us. Idols that tell us that We need to look a certain way or achieve certain things or possess certain things just to be a somebody. And the gospel is the power of God that comes into our lives. It's the power of God that literally frees us from our culture. Do you want to be free? I want to be free. Mm -hmm. And the gospel, the gospel frees us. Jesus frees us. Whatever I chase to prove I'm a somebody is an idol and an idol always enslaves. It enslaves me by compelling me to pursue it, to become a somebody. And then when I reach it, I'm only as good as who I was yesterday. I've got to somehow hold on to what I've achieved, but my looks are fading with age and yesterday's achievements are quickly forgotten. So I got to keep proving myself. And that's just scratching the surface of how an idol keeps us enslaved It is slavery to let the culture determine who is a somebody and who isn't. And there's always deception involved. And I feel like the deception in, you know, in idols is that we somehow think that they are going to provide for us the significance that we long for, that we're going to attain lordship, that we're going to arrive, right, Mm -hmm. through the idol. And we become a slave to it. So it's like literally the opposite. The thing that we think we're going to master is the thing that masters us. Right. Yeah, because it's not the Lord. Because serving, you know, way back in the day, Bob Dylan wrote this song, Got to Serve Somebody. Mm -hmm. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord. You got to serve somebody. Mm -hmm. And so anyone that I serve, anyone that I serve who is not the Lord Jesus Christ is going to enslave me. Mm-hmm. And the answer to the problem, I mean, that's clearly the problem. The answer to the problem is to never let the gospel become old, mm-hmm. to never let it be so familiar that we don't stand in awe and wonder at what God has done for us. Yeah. Resetting every single day. That's what we're doing right now. I am doing this. Sean is doing this. Ben's doing this. You're doing this. We're resetting in the gospel because the culture is going to continue screaming at us today. 
today. Mm-hmm. The gospel is the power to set you and me free from the idols of culture. Because in the gospel, the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, telling us, you are a somebody because I love you. I created you in my image. I've forgiven you of your sins. And your purpose is to pour the love I'm pouring into you, into your world. I'm wondering if God has put a dream in your heart for his kingdom, a way to bring healing and life to your world. I think of the story of Noah. God called Noah to build an ark to save the world. Mm -hmm. Well, there was judgment, yes, but the point of it was not the judgment, really. I mean, God was making a strong point, but the point of it, I mean, after the Noah and his family got off the ark, God said, I'm never going to do this again because there's a hope and a future for humanity. Mm-hmm. And so really Noah built an ark to save the world, which just makes me think, what is the ark God wants me to build mm. to save my world? That's good. I feel like the thing that impresses me most about Noah building an ark is not, hang with me on this, but not so much the completed project, but the fact that he was grabbing wood and nails and a hammer every day when there was not a cloud in the sky. Like he believed and he moved according to what God called him to do, even when there was no evidence of why that was necessary. And we see this. This is the way that God works with us. It's the way he works with people. We see it. You know, he told Abram, I want you to pack up all your stuff, pack up all your possessions. He had a lot of possessions. Pack up all your stuff. We're moving. Moving where? I'll tell you. I'll tell you where. Just follow me. He, he had to pack up everything without a destination without knowing where he was going. And I mean, we see this in scripture over and over and over again, where God calls people to do something. He doesn't give them all of the details of what it's going to look like, but he just says, I want you to follow me. And that's what we were created for. We're created for this intimacy with him to live in such a, a yin yang love relationship with the Lord, that we're attentive to what he's doing. We're obedient to what he's called us to do, even when it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I think of David, Uh, He was anointed king, and then, um, you know, he got some favor from King Saul, but then Saul got jealous, and and then David was on the run for his life. And it was really, 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 really hard for David to build his boat. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need to, yeah, just pick up the hammer and the nail and just do what we can in the day, because it takes a long time, really, for... I I heard a friend of mine say... There's maybe one, two, or three things in your life that God has created you for that will be for such a time as this moments. Mm-hmm. Not that every moment doesn't count, but there's mm-hmm. there's two or three things maybe in life that where God is just preparing you to really, you know, hit that home run for his kingdom. And you just got to be faithful. You just got to walk it out and you you learn how to... You get prepared for that in the hard times, in the desert. Mm. Yeah, and I'm a I'm a planner, and so I like to know what's coming. I, I want a flow chart. Like if the Lord would just give me a flow chart and I would see how it ends, I feel like I would, you know, it would be easier for me to step into obedience. But I don't think that Noah had a flow chart. Well, for me, it's a blueprint. 
Yeah, exactly. Same, same. Like, I want to know how this thing settles. I think the greatest example, speaking of boats and all, I think the greatest example of what it means to follow Jesus when it doesn't make sense to you is when Jesus borrowed Simon Peter's boat, he was teaching and he borrowed Simon Peter's boat and he's like, hey, you know, they just got done cleaning their nets. They've been fishing all night. They were done. And he's like, why don't we go ahead and put your boat out? And I think he just wanted to reimburse him, you know, for his generosity and letting him borrow the boat. So he's like, go ahead and put your nets out. Sure. Drops the nets down. And so well, first, before they even drop the nets down, Peter's response is, I think so kindly, so graciously, because you say so, right. I will let down my net. And, and of course, they got this incredible, beautiful haul of fish. Had to call people to help catch it all and bring it all in. But for me, I... Yeah, I want my response to the Lord, no matter how crazy what he's asking me to do sounds, to just simply be, all right, I might not understand it all, but because you say so, because you say so. Thanks for letting Perry and Shauna walk the real life journey with you. The content from the Perry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Perry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.